Thank you for joining us here at Life Church. It's an honor to share God's word with you today. Our prayer is that you will connect with Jesus Christ as you hear his word online. We'd love to have you visit one of our upcoming gatherings. For more information, visit us online at www.liferva.org or contact our church offices and we'll be happy to help you in any way that we can. Let's go now to one of our recent services where you can experience a life-giving message from God's Word. Well, good morning again. Uh, It's good to see everybody here. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Luke, the second chapter. Luke, the second chapter, beginning at verse 1. Reads, at that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee, and he took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. If you look at verse 7 in the New King James Version, it says it this way, And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, I recognize that you'll be hearing a lot about the birth of Christ over the next few weeks. But as quickly as we move through the holiday season, I wanted to pull a thought out of the story of the birth of Christ that I hopefully will be able to challenge you to prepare yourselves to experience his best in your life. And perhaps you'll allow this Christmas season to be one in which you lose sight of all the entrappings of Christmas and actually include him in his season. Can you say amen? You all know the story. I have no need to recite all the details over and over again this morning to you. But needless to say, the hustle and bustle of the census taking over Uh, their town and their area, and then the added pressure of all kinds of visitors coming into town caused the greatest experience and the greatest miracle that we will ever experience to occur, not in a hospital, not in a palace, not in a doctor's office, not in a palatial hotel, or even a humble bed and breakfast. The greatest miracle that ever occurred, God in flesh, being born through the womb of a woman, took place among barnyard animals in the midst of a cold, dark cave, on the outskirts of the town of Bethlehem because there was no room for them in the inn. The Jews of Jesus' day had a lot on their plate. They'd been through catastrophic wars and foreign powers taking them into captivity, releasing them only then to be subdued and occupied by other foreign powers, first the Greeks and then the Romans. They had seen their temple desecrated and then cleansed and then rebuilt by Herod only to see it become more of a place suited for politics than for the pursuit of God. The population was segmented between those who wanted to live holy and be separate and protect themselves against the possibility of sin and those who were more interested in appeasing the occupying government of Rome and gaining political power. And in desperation, they cried out in need of a Messiah who would come and rescue them from the foreign oppressors, but they missed the very thing they needed and that God had promised he would do for the people of Israel with the birth of Christ because there was no room. Today I wonder when God looks at us, does he see a vacancy sign? Does he see availability? Does he see willingness? Does he see openness? Or does he see 
no room. Today I'd like to share with you a really simple thought as we run headfirst into the Christmas season, as we prepare for all the things that capture our imagination and our attention, I want to share a very simple thought. What do you suppose would have happened had the innkeeper in Bethlehem or any other roadside stop along the way, if they had known that the God of the universe in human form, the Messiah that they had been praying for, longing for, looking for, had they known that he was about to be born, that he was the one Mary was carrying, what do you suppose the response would have been when they knocked on the innkeeper's door? My guess is no matter how full they were with other guests, other activities, other responsibilities, had they known, I don't believe their response would be no room. I believe their response would have been, we will make room. And that's what I want to share today. I want to share a simple thought, make room. Make room. Men, I know you're familiar with this. Your wife finds a new piece of furniture that she just has to have. It's the perfect piece to finish off the room. We have got to have it. Perhaps you experienced it over the last month as you began to pull out the Christmas decorations and decorate your home only to find that she went to Hobby Lobby and spent about $180 more for new stuff to be added to the Christmas decor. So you get it. You bring it home. The only problem is, based on the way that things are currently arranged, and with the, all the other stuff that has occupied the space, there is no room for this new piece of furniture. So before you can move it into place, before you can set up the 14th tree in the house, before you can put the decor where it needs to go, before you can put a place for the red pickup truck with the tree in the back, you must spend time doing what? Making room. You have to make room for this new thing that is in your home. What does it mean to make room? Well, it means to search and remove those things that are in the way. That's what making room really means. John 1.23 says that John replied, referring to John the Baptist, in the words of Isaiah, he said, I am a voice shouting in the wilderness, clear the way for the Lord's coming. This scripture, of course, refers to John crying out in the days before the ministry of Christ. His goal, his job, was to prepare the way of the Lord, to open the minds and the hearts of the people for what was to come when Jesus would show up on the scene. The words clear the way mean to clear a path, to make room. Make room for what? Make room for the Lord's coming. Make room for God to do his will in our lives. Make room for his plans to be birthed in us. He, he had to have a space to exist. He needs some room. And I feel like today that our lives get so jam-packed with things, activities, voices, things clamoring for our attention, noise, that if we aren't careful, we will find ourselves completely occupied, completely full of space, no place, no room. And as we move into a new year, 2024, I just want to tell you today that we have to make room for him. We have to make room for him. Psalm 119 and 32 says, I will run the course of your commandments, for you will enlarge my heart. 
The word enlarge here means to expand or to make room. We can't truly pursue the commandments of his word without first making room for him in our lives. There's plenty of people that are living based on the Bible, but the Bible has no effect on them in their lives because they're, they're living by the word, but they're missing the whole spirit of the word. And so therefore it's just words on paper and it hadn't affected them the way it needs to because they haven't really made room for the God of the book to come dwell within their life. And after all, the day he was born, the Bible says Emmanuel was born. And Emmanuel literally means God with us. And if we do not have God with us, all of the other entrappings are wasted and useless because we need God in the midst of our room. So many times we use the excuses that we're too busy or we've got too much going on right now. The season's not quite right. We've, we've just got a lot on our plates. And in a more opportune time we would fully engage and commit and pursue God. But right now, we are at our capacity. We are full. We don't have room. And ironically, we find room for those things that are most important to us. We will squeeze in an extra activity or some extra time if we really want to do something. We will make room in our schedule. We make room in our lives for those things that we deem most valuable, won't we? We as a culture, we've We've just completed a six-week series on culture, and we as a culture live right on the edge. We are right at the limits in every area of our lives. We overload our lives with people, with information. We, we live overloaded. Sm smartphones certainly contribute to that. Everyone has their whole life at the palm of their hand, literally. Every contact, every form of communication, email, text message, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, FaceTime. And for all of us old fogies, you can actually make this thing ring and someone will talk to you on the other end of the line. <laughs> Calendars are packed with activities. Our lives are planned out, scheduled, sometimes down to the minute. There is no room for anything else. Financially, we're stretched to the limit. Certainly no room for error there. One mistake in your sub subtraction can be catastrophic when you're making it paycheck to paycheck with no margin and no room. Emotionally, there's no room either. Many of us walk around with chips on our shoulder, daring somebody to knock it off, or worse. We are so emotionally spent that when someone asks how you're doing, it may release a wellspring of emotions that sets you on a course toward what seems like a nervous breakdown. Why? Because we tend to live right up to the edge, and sometimes with a foot hanging over. In every area of our lives, we are right on the edge, right at the precipice. No room, no margin. Spent, exhausted, stretched, worried, bothered, hurried, rushed, pushed, tired, worn out, used up, burned out. Have you ever described yourself as any of those things? When you were asked, how are you? Have you ever said, uh, I'm tired, I'm worn out, I feel rushed, I feel hurried, I'm worried, I'm stretched. How are you? Oh, I'm all those things, right? Why? Because you're living right on the edge. If the speed limit is 70 miles an hour, there's some of us who think, how fast can I go without getting a ticket? We get mad if the cop does give us a ticket when we're going over, but only by a little. We have this mentality that many of us have that if the police officer, we think the police officer's motto is nine, you're fine, ten, you're mine. And so we drive right up to the limit. God did not create us to live that way. 
maxed out, pushed to the limit, on the brink all the time. There's sometimes we got to be there. I get it. But that's not how God wants us to live. He doesn't want to live us live with our lives so maxed out that we have no room to truly even listen for his voice or to hear his direction or to follow his plan for us. God wants us to make room. It's the only way we can live at our best. We need some margin. We need some space. We need to make room. Revelation 3 and 20 says, Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in, and we will share a meal together as friends. Now, some may see that verse as a threat, like it's a big bad wolf saying, I'm knocking at your door, I'm going to huff, and I'm going to puff, and I'm going to blow your house down. But Jesus isn't like that, is he? Notice how unhurried Jesus seems in that statement. I'm standing, and I'm knocking, and if you let me in, we'll share a meal together as friends. Not, hey, I'm here, you better open up the door, I'm coming in whether you like it or not. No, he's like, hey, I'm here, I'm knocking. I hope you'll open up because I really do want to have a meal with you. He just knocks. He's not an intruder. He's a gentleman. We've all had that person at the door knocking, right? You're like, do I answer this? Is this a Jehovah's Witness? I don't have time for this right now. They're going to try to sell me a watchtower. Stay down. It's the guy trying to sell you shingles. Don't walk in front of the window. They'll see you and they'll know we're here. Y'all get down. A pastor went out one Saturday to visit his church members at one house. It was obvious that someone was home, but nobody would come to the door, even though the preacher knocked several times. Finally, the preacher took out his business card and he wrote on the back of it, Revelation 3.20, and stuck it in the door. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens it, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. The next day, the card turned up. In the collection plate, below the preacher's message was written the following notation. I heard your voice in the garden, Genesis 3.10, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. <laughs> That's probably why Jesus doesn't barge in the door. <clears throat> why does Jesus stand at the door and knock? Why didn't he just barge in? Move the junk out of our lives. Do what he wants. Clear us out. It would make sense, right? He's God, after all. Why wouldn't he just do that? Because Jesus never forces himself through the door. He never comes uninvited. He always wants to be wanted, to be needed, to be desired, to be worshipped of our own choosing and our own free will, not because we have to, because we get to. Sure, he could make room for himself. He could create room. But it means so much more when we clear out the junk and invite him in. When we say, you know what, this is the space that I've been letting this occupy for so long, but I don't really need this. What I need is you. So I'm going to move this out, and I'm going to let you move in. <laughs> Clear some space on the calendar. Create some room and welcome him in. Sometimes it means we've got to lay aside some stuff, right, some junk, some clutter. Do you hate clutter? I absolutely abhor clutter. There are a few things that drive me crazier quicker than prolonged clutter, Right? I mean, clutter for a moment you can deal with because you know, okay, we just brought all this stuff in the house. It's going to take a few minutes to put it away. But, you know, the clutter that sits in the corner for, like, weeks. Or you walk by your kid's room and the same stuff is in their floor for, like, six months. Until you're twitching and itching and it's driving you nuts, right? 
That kind of clutter drives me crazy. Few things that drive me crazy are quicker. When Davina and I were first married, we went to visit some folks who lived out in Illinois near her family and uh, had a beautiful home on the outside. And I, I, I was thinking, oh, this is a nice house. And then I walked in and <clears throat> I was standing in the living room and there was sufficient seating for everyone to sit. But only two spots were available. And it took 30 minutes for them to move enough stuff for me to be able to have a seat. And then I was scared to sit. Because I didn't know how long it had been since they moved that stuff. That drives me crazy, right? But I just imagined last night when I was thinking about that story, I thought, you know, even in that moment, I believe God would have stood there and waited patiently for me to clear him space so he could be involved in my life. He would not have gotten mad or gotten angry or been like, what the world? Why in the world did you let it get so bad? Why did you let it get so built up? Why did you collect so much junk? Nope. He would have let me work it out until I got a space to where he could live in my life freely and clearly. And I made room for him. As bad as I hate it physically, clutter, sometimes I think, though, spiritually, we get attached to clutter, don't we? What do I mean? Hebrews 12 and 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. He tells us to strip off every weight and lay aside every sin. So what are your weights today? Because, you know, we, we're quick to point out our sin. We know what those are. But what are your weights? What are the things that are weighing you down? What is the clutter in your life that you really don't need, but you got it, and you need to find a way to make some room? What are the weights in your life, the things maybe that you live, they're right on the verge of sin, but you make the excuse, well, these aren't so bad, you should see so-and-so. Or, or you make the excuse, you should see what I used to be compared to now. This ain't nothing. Or I can get rid of this whenever I want to. It doesn't take up that much space in my life what's your clutter here's a verse that really describes in my opinion the spiritual clutter of our day the stuff that we see in our lives and in the lives of those around us in our culture second timothy chapter 3 verse 1 through 5 says you should know this timothy that in the last days there will be very difficult times for people will love only themselves and their money they will be boastful and proud scoffing at God, disobedient to parents, and I'm glad we're singing gratitude because ungrateful is one of the descriptions they make of, he makes of this time. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they'll reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that describes the world we live in, folks. And if we're not careful, the world we live in can start to creep in and make us become more and more like it. That's why Paul warned us to not allow the world to press us into its mold, but be transformed by renewing our mind. Maybe in your life it could be some bad habits that you've allowed for a while. Maybe 
even some ones that you don't tell anybody about, maybe even ones you deny having yourself. A habit like, you know, using some prescription drugs to make it through. Not because the doctor prescribed them to you, but because you just like the way they make you feel. Or, or maybe you push the alcohol limits to well beyond excess every now and then when you're just feeling like you want to have fun. Or, or maybe you smoke a little pot just to take the edge off. Maybe you smoke a lot of pot. And you only smell that way because you tell people it's a new cologne you're wearing. Maybe you look at pornography a little bit because your excuse is, well, my wife hasn't been as excited to be with me lately. Or, or, or maybe, ladies, I hate to tell you this, but pornography is well on the rise with your generation of people. And so maybe you think, well, that guy, he's a lot more intuitive than what my husband is to me. So maybe it's gambling. Maybe all those commercials while you're watching football has got you hooked on sports gambling on your phone where nobody knows. You got that secret account. You're stashing a little money so you can gamble. Maybe it's watching too much television. You know the shows I'm talking about that you shouldn't be watching. Maybe your habit is spending, and you spend a lot, and you're overwhelmed by spending, especially this time of year. Maybe your habit that, you're working, that you don't want to acknowledge is that you overeat, especially when you feel stressed or depressed or your calendar feels full and you just keep eating. Maybe... Your habit is hunting, not hunting for meat, but hunting because I don't want to really be at home, so I'd rather be in the woods with the guys. Maybe yours is sports to the point that sports dominate everything you do, say, think, to the place where you can't even come to church on Sunday or, or, or come to church on Wednesday night because you got a basketball game you want to watch and you're going to stick to it until you see it all. Maybe yours is work. Now, we don't like to talk about this, but... Sometimes we got, we got people that choose overtime over living for Jesus or overtime rather than coming to church or even overtime rather than being with family because not that I need the money, but I just need to work. I need to feel valued, and there I feel valued, and at home I don't, so I'm going to go to work. Maybe it's, maybe it's tobacco. I don't know. Jerry Falwell said one time, I don't know if smoking cigarettes will send you to hell, but it'll sure make you smell like you've been there. <laughs> I'm not saying I said that. Jerry Falwell did. So if you don't like him, he's dead. You can go curse his grave. But maybe, maybe that's one you excuse for yourself because it calms your nerves. Or, or maybe, maybe yours is I dip a little bit and I put it in my cheek and, and I get the buzz of the nicotine and it makes me feel a little bit better about my day and so I keep on going. You see, there's lots of little weights, some of which can go into sin, that we allow, and we got our excuses as to why we allow them, because they do help us in the moment, maybe, or they make us feel a little better in the moment, but they become something in our lives where it takes up space that God desires to be in. And then they take up space to where God can't truly come in and do with us because we choose that over Him. It doesn't make it always wrong. What it makes it is a weight that is tying you down from being all you could be for God. 
And if we'll all be honest, we all have things that threaten to crowd out the place of Jesus in our lives. We have stuff that just piles up and pushes him out. And maybe for you, it's just that you no longer take the time to pray like you used to. Or, no, you should be doing right now. Or maybe you just no longer spend time even looking at the Bible. It's just something that you know is on your phone for those moments when you really are in trouble. Maybe you've sacrificed your daily devotions on the altar of sports practices or PTA meetings or ESPN or overtime or whatever. Sometimes the things that crowd out Jesus are not bad things. They aren't sin. You're going to go to heaven, but the journey isn't as good as it could be because of the weights you're bound down with. They are good things that we've chosen over the best things. And before anyone thinks this is a message of condemnation, let me just tell you up front that God uses mostly failures in the Bible. So if you admit you got some weight and you got some sin, you're in good company today and you're in a really good place. Because if there's ever a place you can find a way to unpack some things, it's in the presence of God. And when you're in his presence, anything is possible. And so you're in a good place today with a bunch of good people because there ain't nobody in this place that can look at that list and any other list and say, I never had a problem with none of that. We all got stuff. And we all pile it up. And if we're not careful, it will consume us rather than letting God consume us. The Apostle Paul is a great example. He says this in Romans chapter 7 and verse 14. He says, the trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what's right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Verse 18, he says, and I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what's right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't do what I want to do, and I end up doing what is wrong, and I do it anyway. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I do what is right, when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. So while you're warring with the evil and struggling with the, to do what is right, the answer stands outside the door. When we're in our house and we're covered and surrounded by all of our stuff, the answer to all of our stuff that is causing us to trip and fall is right outside the door. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Do you have any room today? Any room in your schedule for me? Can you fit me in today? I'm patient, but I really wanted to spend time with you today. You ever needed a haircut and you call the shop and they can't get you in? Ladies ever wanted to go get your nails done and they don't have any appointments available? Doesn't that make you mad? Imagine how it makes you feel when you're the God of the universe and you're knocking outside the door. And they say, I, 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 hear, I hear the door knocking, but, but we got soccer practice. I hear the door knocking, but there's my favorite show is on TV tonight. Maybe tomorrow, God, maybe tomorrow. There's a big game tonight. I got to see the Cowboys win so you can show up maybe in the morning. I'll be ready. Why not? As quickly as we move toward the end of the year from one year into a new one, why don't we clear out some junk? Make some room. We don't need to wait until spring cleaning. We don't need to wait until a midwinter revival. We don't need to wait to see if we're going to have a use for this junk. We don't need to wait to see if this pile of clothes is going to fit next season. We just need to make room. 
because the God of the universe, not the Jehovah's Witness, not the rainbow vacuum cleaner, not the kids from the school selling magazines, but the Savior who died that you might have life stands at the door and knocks. Why don't we make some room for him? So as I wrap this up today, there's four wise statements I want to share with you today that you need to say when you open the door when Jesus is knocking. I pull them from a parable Jesus told in Luke chapter 14, verse 16. It says, Jesus replied with this story. A man prepared a great feast, and he sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent a servant to tell the guests, Come, banquet is ready. They all began making excuses. One guest said, I, I have just bought a field, and I must inspect it. Please excuse me. Now, any of you real estate agents ever had somebody just buy something and not have looked at it already? But that was his excuse. Another said, I have just bought five pair of oxen, and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Now, I went and bought a car in the last couple of weeks, and I checked out the car before I bought it. I, I didn't just go and buy it and then go try out my oxen, right? I wanted to make sure it worked. Another said, I just got married, so I can't come. Okay, that one, Maybe on your wife you might not have been able to make it although when I got married my wife was great she let me come all the way home and go to Eddie and Jennifer's wedding one week later so I'm really thankful for that uh, the servant returned and turned and told his master what they had said his master was furious and said go quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and invite the poor the crippled the blind and the lame after the servant had done this he reported there's still room for more so his master said get out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. So the first statement I want to pull from that comes from verse 17 where it says, Come, the banquet is ready. And when you answer the door when Jesus is knocking, I, I want to encourage you to say, Lord, I'm ready now. <clears throat> I'm ready now. You know how great it feels when you know you're ready? You ever invited people over, you've been cleaning the house, and there's this moment if you've started early enough, not if you're doing the flight of the bumblebee as they're on your porch, but <laughs> if you cleaned early and you got everything ready and the meal was prepared, you know that feeling you have when you know you're ready? It's like, oh, come on, baby. Let's, y'all come on in. I, I, my house is beautiful. I got the decorations ready. The food is smelling great. Let's, let's have a party, right? You just, oh, it feels great. When, when I got married, I was ready, right? I mean, we've been looking forward to this day for so long. I was ready. There's such a feeling you have when you're ready. The Bible says faith is demonstrated not in the future, but in this moment, in the now, right? Hebrews 11.1 says, now faith is confidence, what we hope for, and assurance about what we do not see. It doesn't say that faith is demonstrated at some point in the future, at some other time, when you have confidence, when, when, when you finally get your act together. No, no. It's talking about right now, right? My faith is demonstrated in the fact that right now, I am. there are things that I have confidence that God is going to do in my life. Not tomorrow, not six months from now. Right now, God wants to do them. And so God, right now, I am ready. I want you to come in right now. Not in a week. Don't come back later. Right now, I want you in. I'm ready now. Stop saying I can't. Start saying I can. Stop saying it's impossible. Start saying nothing is impossible for those who believe. Stop saying if and start saying I will. Right? Don't live your life going, well, if the Lord wills it. The Lord wills it. Let's do it. 
He's been calling you for six months. He's been knocking on your door for a year. He wants you to do it. Do it. Say, I will. We are so quick to delay or to give reasons why we need to wait. Commit to making room in your life for Jesus Christ today. Lord, I'm ready now. The second wise statement I think you can find there, I take it from verse 18. He says, but they all began making excuses. And what I would want you to say to the Lord as he's knocking on the door is, Lord, I have no excuses. I don't have any. I love being around people who've gotten rid of all the excuses. When you express something that needs to be done, they don't tell you a million reasons why it can't be done. They just do it. They don't stand around and put qualifications on God and the pastor. You know, if you want me to be involved, you're going to have to create a special ministry just for me, one that is tailor-made for my unique skill set. They see a need. They recognize that it may not be their primary gifting, but it needs to be done, so they do it with joy. They don't make excuses. They just do it. Others are not that way. I really want to serve. I really do, but I don't like that area over there. And I'd rather not just do that. I, I, I don't want to work with those people. Or I know you need help with kids, but I would rather. I know you need help in guest services, but I don't want to have to serve and be here early. Couldn't you just schedule around me? Like, you know, let me show up when I want. Let me leave when I want. If you, don't, if you want me to serve, you're going to have to make some concessions for me. I need it to be a little more convenient, you know, for me and my life. And just like serving, I think many times we have so many excuses as to why we will wait for another time to really open up the door and let God have free reign in our life. The excuses don't look like excuses to us. They just look like legitimate reasons, right? All the excuses given in the parable seem legitimate. I bought some real estate. I got to check it out. I bought a team of oxen, some livestock, and I got to make sure they are able to pull this plow. I I just got married. Many of you have had experience with addiction. Maybe you've known addicts. Eventually, everyone knows there's a problem except who? The addict. An anorexic stands in front of the mirror and can't see it. Everyone else is thinking, please wake up and see that this is going to kill you. And she still thinks, I'm fat. This morning, you may not even realize that you're making excuses. But if you're allowing anything to keep you from being fully engaged and connected to Jesus... It's time to eliminate the excuse and make room for him. The third wise statement I think is important to notice is from verse 21 where where the master of the house tells the servant, he says, invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And when God's knocking on your door, I think one of the most important things you can acknowledge to him is, Lord, I'm broken. Blind Bartimaeus is sitting by the side of the road. He hears Jesus is coming into town, and he starts making a ruckus, not because he was, you know, over there doing the wave, not because he was over there trying to, get, you know, just get some attention. Uh-uh, he had something legitimate he needed help with, and he knew this might be his only shot, and so he was going to do everything he could to get Jesus' attention. Why? He didn't want to make no excuses. He wasn't looking for just to spend some time. Oh, no, no, no. He was broken, and he needed help. And see, many of us, we may not be physically blind, but in some ways, we are weaker than that. 
Jesus is walking our way. He's knocking on our door, and, and we don't even notice it. We don't even know it. Why? We're so consumed by all the things in our life, or we're so consumed by our dysfunction that we don't even recognize the solution that just stepped onto our street, that is coming down the lane, that is coming up our road, that stepped onto our porch, and that is knocking on our door. Therefore, we can't hear him ask, what do you want? Do you want to be made well? What can I do for you? Go find out from that guy over there on the road who's blind, who's sitting there in his mess. How can I help him? We're broken. We need to be fixed. There's a reason why this time of year, with all of the joy and the happiness that we think of with this season, with all of the celebrations and joyous occasions, there's a reason why. In spite of all that, depression numbers spike and suicide numbers increase dramatically and mental health crisis hotline calls go through the roof. And they're the only, that's, the, that's, the, and that's only from the people that seek help, right? The numbers go through the roof, and that's just from the ones that reach out. Some of you right now, your lives may be in shambles. Oh, you, you've made it through Thanksgiving. You got through it. You've held it together for family and friends. But now Christmas is here, and you've put up the decorations, and you got your facade working, and you bought some gifts, and you put ribbon and bows on just right. But when you close your eyes at night, the darkness tries to press in on you, and everything feels like it's coming apart at the seams. You're faking it. You're putting on a happy face when others are around you, but below the surface is a broken mess. And today it's okay that it's a broken mess because the God who wants to put it all back together is standing on your porch, knocking on the door, saying, I'm standing here and I'm knocking. If you'll just let me in, I just want to come in and have a meal with you. Psalm 34 and 18 says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Jesus went on to say that he was anointed to bind up the brokenhearted. Today he knows right where you are, and he wants to put the pieces back together again. The dreams that seem shattered right now, he can put back together. But you've got to make room and let him in. Then the fourth statement I think you need to pay attention to or make, this also comes from verse 21 where, G where Jesus says the master of the house said, Go out into the country lanes behind the hedges and urge anyone you can find to come in so that the house will be full. I think one of the things we need to learn to say when God's knocking on our door is, Lord, I know you want in. Don't go to the door and be like, yes, what do you want? God, I recognize who you are and that you want into my life. The servant was commanded to go out and do whatever it took to get people into the master's house for the feast, compel them by any means necessary. Even if they didn't want to be there, they were being compelled to come. You know, there's some people, they just go to church, right? Their wife makes them go. They go to avoid a phone call from the pastor. They don't want to hear about it from their mom or whatever. So they just show up. They just go. Not really invested, just here. But there's some other folks, they love coming to church. They're so excited to be in God's house. They're connected to God. And they recognize that not only do I want to be here, but he wants me to be here. I'm not here because my wife wants me to be here. My parents want me to be here. I'm here because Jesus wants me to be here. I'm his invited guest to the feast. He so wants to be a part of your life that even when he departed the earth, he said, you know what, I'm going to send back a comforter that's going to be with you and shall be in you and is going to be with you forever so that the spirit of truth that I'm sending will guide you and lead you and walk with you and talk with you and be with you every day of your life. 
today we're in the house of the Lord, and for whatever reason you came today, you're here. And the Bible tells us that he, I read it to you earlier, stands at the door and knocks. If you'll hear his voice, and you'll hear his knock, his call, and you'll open the door, he'll come in and share a meal together as friends. In other words, if you will make room for him, he will come in and he will help you to live the life that he dreams of for you. How many of you know God dreamed up plans for you? Oh, Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans I have for you, saith the Lord. Plans to prosper you, to give you a future and a hope. God has stuff designed specifically for your life. Paul said, you know what? God set together all these good works for you to do long before you ever showed up, long before you was a gleam in your daddy's eye. He set works in place, good works for you to accomplish in your future. Why? Because he dreamed them up for you. He will heal you. He will cleanse you. He will save you. He will redeem you, allow you to live free of condemnation, allow you to walk in freedom every day. If you'll just not let excuses get in the way, get the clutter out of the way, don't dwell on your past failures, don't say, I've tried before and I couldn't, just make some room, get Jesus into your life, and allow him to come into the room while he's knocking at the door. If the worship team would come. So David, I told you that the Bible's filled with failures. They are usually the people God's best able to use, primarily because they recognize just how much they need him. I know in my life it wasn't until I went through some tough stuff that I didn't realize just how much I needed God to make it every day of my life. David, he's described in the Bible as a man after God's own heart, and yet there were some times where that did not seem to be the case. He had allowed his power, his ambition, his position, his fame, he had allowed all the trappings of life uh, that, that, to, to really crowd out God. And when he had big choices to make, God's opinion was drowned out by the lust in his heart or the unlimited power he thought he had, and whatever it was, it caused him to take another man's wife, and when he found out that she was pregnant, he tried to cover it up, and when his friend, who he had betrayed, proved to be more loyal to the king than David was even to God at that point, he didn't go home to his wife. The king had him murdered, a man after God's own heart. Yeah? I, I hope that's not your story, but no matter how bad your story is, I believe you can still be a man after God's heart. David went on living, never considering how damaging his actions were, and he continued to operate as if nothing had happened. He had to have been consumed by guilt, I would thought, but he had to have just been a wreck inside, right? I mean, you would think that. Sometimes we can allow stuff to crowd Jesus out of our lives so much that we can't even hear his convicting call when we mess up. And I think that's where David found himself. Because finally the prophet of God, Nathan, comes to his house, and he tells David a story about a wealthy man who had many flocks of sheep. His neighbor who had one sheep, he, uh, the wealthy man saw the one sheep that his neighbor had. and All the sheep he had in his fields wasn't enough. He had to have that one too. And he took it, and he left the neighbor with none. David became indignant and said to Nathan, he says, tell me who this man is. I will have him killed immediately. And Nathan pointed his finger at the king, and he said, you're the guy. It's you. All of what David had done, I believe, comes roaring to the surface in that moment. David realizes the depth of his sin. And in the 51st Psalm, David really has a prayer of repentance that he cries out to God. And in the midst of uh, that Psalm, verse 10, David says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast, a right spirit within me. So many times we get so polluted with stuff 
things build up, pile up, sinful activities that we've justified, struggles that we won't acknowledge, weights, sins. They, they pile up in our lives until there's just no room. If you'd stand with me all over this house today. Today, in this Christmas season, I want you to consider what different choices the innkeeper would have made. I, I want you to consider that roadside dive motel that was on the way between Nazareth and Bethlehem that they stopped at first before the innkeeper and I want you to imagine what he would have said or I want you to imagine what the stable boy who was standing at the mouth of the cave when Joseph and Mary pulled up their donkey 2.0 into the drive with a pregnant woman on it I want you to imagine what they would have said Imagine what the people that they bumped into along the way, imagine what even the shepherds would have said had they known prior. Would they have already been waiting? Would they have prepared him a room? Would they have made space for him? I wonder today what all the people in the Christmas story would have done differently had they known who it was that was knocking on the door that night. Would he have told them we have no room? Or would he have said, we'll do whatever it takes to make some room? Today, you know who it is who's knocking on your door. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to be like, I don't know if Mary's experience was really all that. I don't know if God really impregnated her. That, that seems so far-fetched and such a wild tale. I don't know. You know. You have the beauty of living on this side of Calvary. You know what God did for you. You know what Jesus has done. You know he came. You know he was birthed into a manger. You know that he went on 33 years later and died for your sin and mine. You know. So won't you make room for him today? Won't you clear some clutter? Remove some junk? Won't you make room for him today? They're going to sing. I think it's a great way to come. The Bible says enter into his gates with thanksgiving. They're going to sing this song about gratitude. I think I can't be grateful for anything greater than the fact that he came and came into my life. And so today I'm going to open this altar to you. Come singing this song if you'd like, but let's gather in this place and let's make some room for Jesus at this moment right now.
psychiatrist, medical doctor, and he was talking about how in his practice he had started to really endeavor to practice the presence of God in his sessions with his clients, and uh, he really desired for the presence of God to be in the room where transformation was happening. The Bible tells us we can be transformed by renewing our minds, by doing some things up here to help us live an effective overcoming life, and so one of the things that he was talking about is that no matter what type of practice he's in, whether it's practicing in neuroscience or in counseling, that he endeavors to present opportunity for the presence of God to be in the room where this transformative work can begin to occur in the lives of individuals. And so I came home and I was really, that, that thought of being in the room just kept rum, ruminating in my mind over and over and over again about being in the room. And so as I began to see people and have, have counseling appointments with folks, uh, I had always had an extra chair in the room anyway. Uh, there's always an extra chair. Like, we, you know, people come in, I'm sitting in a chair, they're sitting on a couch or in a chair. There's always an extra space for people to sit if, if, if necessary. And I began to th tell them that 
this chair is going to represent where we want Jesus in the room. We, 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 want to, we want to talk about some things and we want to deal with the stuff that's going on in your life, but we want him to weigh in as well because we want him to be in the room. We want his presence to work the work of transformation in our lives. And so what I want to encourage you today is that this Christmas, this time that you will spend with family and friends and gifts and meals and all those things, and I want you to do it all because all of it's important and all of it is fun and all of it matters. But in the midst of it, make sure you leave a place for Jesus to be welcome in the room where you are having all of these things. Because it's not enough to acknowledge that he was born. It's not enough to acknowledge even that he died. Because he desires to not be something that was on a cross or something that was in a manger. He desires to be in the room where lives are changed and things are happening because he's the only one that can make the change anyway. And when he makes the change, it sticks. It's forever. It's permanent because he does the work. And I want that to be what my life is like, right? I want him to always feel welcome. I want him to always have a place. I want him to have a space at my table. I want him to have a place in my living room. I want him to have a place in my life permanently, never cluttered by junk, never pushed out. He doesn't have to stand at the door and knock. He's got a key. He's welcome all the time, right? That's how I want him to feel in my life. So one more time, let's pray together before we wrap this up. Father, once again, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for your presence. I'm so grateful for the Word of God. I'm so grateful that you came into my life at the age of 11 and put your spirit within me and allowed me to live my life for you. I'm so thankful, God, that today I can walk in favor and I can walk in faith and I can trust in you in all things. And today, Father, I pray over the people of God in this room that this Christmas season and beyond every season of our life, God, I pray that we would learn to make room for you that we would never allow the schedule of life or the frustrating moments of life or all of the things that we get involved with to begin to crowd you out. But rather, let us consider that you need to have a permanent place in our calendar. You need to have a permanent place in our homes. You need to have a permanent place in our families. That you have free reign to do in us what you desire so that we can truly fulfill the will of God for our lives. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. God bless you. many times gets overwhelmed at this time of year. I like to do it all. I have so many things I want to do, so many things to bake and give, and giving is my love language. I love gifts, and I love giving gifts. But sometimes in all of that, I get overwhelmed because I don't put him first. He's not in the center of all of those things I'm doing. He is, but sometimes I'm not recognizing it. So I just encourage you today to just be aware, welcome him. Let him feel welcome in your home, in your life, every day, whatever you're doing, whatever your work is, just let him be there with you. Amen. I was, um, when Rodney was telling me what he was speaking about, I thought about my favorite picture of my daughter. It was taken 19 years ago. And um, we gave it to the, the people in the back and I just wanted to put it up there. This is 
my favorite picture of her it was taken when she was getting ready to be in a wedding of my brother-in-law. This picture is Abby running to her dad, arms wide open, trust, joy, all the things. And I challenge you, be like that with Jesus. Be open, open your arms, accept him in, receive him. The joy on her face as she ran to her dad, that's what I am inside about Jesus. And I hope you are too. Thank you. God is so good. Amen? Amen. She's adorable, isn't she? And of course, I'm here to give the announcements and all the good stuff. Um, if this is your first time with us, please fill out the Connect card that's in the seat pocket in front of you. If you've had a change in your address or phone number, if you would also fill that out and just put that in the um, offering box, we would be happy to have updated information. Tonight is our Dream Team Christmas party. You do not want to miss it. Make room. It's going to be a good time. Sometimes we drag ourselves, but then when we get here, we're so glad we came. So I hope that you will come tonight. We're going to have a great dinner. Maggiano's is catering it. Please come. If you do anything in Life Church, you serve on any team, this night is for you. Please come. Next Saturday, we have our women's brunch. It is going to be at the Goodman's Home. The address is on our Facebook page. There's also some cards out in the lobby. Please let me know if you have not already let me know if you're going to come. We want to make sure we have enough food for you. You do not have to bring anything other than yourself. If you will just come for a couple hours and enjoy some fellowship and fun times with your sisters in Christ. Amen. And is there a Christmas program next week? Next Sunday, 9 and 11 o'clock, bring your friends. They've worked very, very hard to put together something awesome for you. We want you to be here. So please come next Sunday for our Christmas program. And, of course, on the 24th, we will have Christmas at Life Church. So if you are in town and you're able to come, please come and just make sure that Jesus is the reason for the season. Amen? Put him first. And lastly... We give and how we give in this church, there's three ways. You can text, you can do in person in the back at the giving centers, or you can do it online. The important thing is that we give. Amen. God bless you all. I hope that you have a great week, and I hope to see you tonight if you're on the Dream Team. God bless you. Thanks for watching. Be sure to subscribe to this channel so you never miss one of our videos or live streams in the future. Also, take a moment and share this with a friend. Be sure to join us 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. each week live as we celebrate Jesus together here at Life Church. God bless you.